Hello, and welcome to Returning to Us, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to hack your brain, build and strengthen relationships, and to teach people how to recognize and neutralize their emotional states. I'll discuss emotional intelligence and regulation, how food and exercise impact the body and brain, and share lessons from my own lived experiences. I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer, the founder of The Behavior Hub, which is an organization that works to reduce the stressors of raising and educating children through a brain and biology-based lens. In these episodes, I'll share stories and strategies from my own life, work, and research, answer listener questions, and wrap it up with a try-it-at-home tip. Decades worth of information in just minutes. You ready? Schools are back in full swing, and that means I am having lots of calls about and coaching sessions about emotions and emotional breakdown and stress response, all those good things. So today, I want to go into like a a full review of how to teach kids emotional regulation because there are a couple ways to do it. I mean, all of it surrounds one particular system, but how you choose to implement that system is is really up to you and what works for you and your your classroom or you and your kids. So let me first explain step one, which is kids must learn to recognize and categorize their emotional state. If they are not aware or don't become aware of the emotions that they're feeling or like the um, heightened sense of emotions or where that, that emotion falls on a hierarchy of feeling, they can't do a whole lot to change it. They first have to recognize where they're at. Once they recognize they're in a dysregulated state, they can then do something to change the state, which takes us to step number two. Great to become aware, recognize emotional dysregulation, but part two of that is once they recognize it, they don't know what to do with it. They might begin or know or see that they're dysregulated, but they don't know what to do because they've never been taught emotional regulation skills. And these are not necessarily any skills. There are some level of biological response where our body knows on a, on a slight level how to calm down or how to cope. But when stress becomes chronic or there's traumatic stress, the body's just not prepared to deal with that. So step two, teach them calming, regulatory, coping strategies to use to get back to that ground zero. Step three, <clears throat> especially for young kids, they might need a space or an area that's defined where they go to use these calming coping strategies. Teens are good too, because when they're in the, the moment, when they're in the place that's causing the disruptive energy or the heightened sense of emotion, staying in that space and trying to calm down or regulate can be really tough. So it might be helpful to go somewhere to like a designated space that feels calm, that feels safe, that feels secure to come back down. Other kids can just benefit from walking. So step three is kind of creating a a Zen zone, a calm down area, a break space, or even the like taking a walk to regulate. And then after that, steps one, two, and three, most kids are regulated and that's where a lot of people stop. But I would encourage you to not stop there because the problem is that going through it once doesn't fix it permanently. 
And if there was a particular problem that happened that caused the dysregulation, we need to work with the child to solve that problem. Even if they're three years old, I start problem solving with kids as young as two and a half, 18 months, or not 18 months, two and a half if they are more emotionally and intellectually mature, usually around three years old. And I'll explain these steps a little bit more uh, in a little bit more detail in a second. But first, let's go back up to categorizing. How do we teach kids how to categorize their emotional states? Typically, I would do one of two approaches. One, I have a colored chart that has four categories, four domains of color. Each color represents a series of emotions based on hierarchy of emotion. So you've got blue, green, yellow, red. Blue being low energy, tired, sick, sad. Green being that optimal energy, focused, happy. Yellow, often a short period of time where kids are getting frustrated, getting wiggly, getting silly, getting maybe a little bit too excited. Red, complete loss of control. So what I do is I introduce them to these four colors. I explain the emotions that go into each category. And for young kids, because I'm going to use this mostly with younger kids, I'm going to make sure that they know that it's not bad or wrong to be in the yellow or the red or even the blue. That That's normal. It happens. We all go through these different colored zones. We just need to recognize when we're leaving green so we can figure out a way to get back to green because the goal is always to get back to green. Why? Because the more you practice getting back to green and the more you actually use something to get back to green, the more time you spend in green. The more time you spend in green, it's like a muscle. It gets stronger. It becomes your stable state and kids are more likely to stay in green. And on the flip side, if kids are going into red very frequently, that muscle grows and they tend to be prone to to more loss of control, more anger, more rage, whatever it may be, and they just get stuck in that red zone. Here's the biggest thing that you need to know. When kids are in their green zone, they have full access to logic, reason, and communication parts of the brain. When they go into that blue or that yellow zone, they lose some access. It's a little cloudy. And when they go into that red zone, they lose complete access. So when kids are misbehaving and we want to kind of shape and shift and change their behavior since you want it to stop, trying to rationalize, reason, communicate, redirect, none of that beep shit works. <laughs> it doesn't work because the, the logical brain's turned off. So you can't reason with someone who doesn't have access to reasoning. So what we need to do is first get them back down to at least yellow, but preferably green. And then that's where you can rationalize things. That's where you can reason. Even young kids, that's where you can you can talk to them. But what if you're not working with young kids? Or what if the kids don't resonate with the chart? There are some other systems I use as well. Before I move on, I want to say one thing about the color-coded chart system. I see it used a lot in preschool, primary school, sometimes even intermediate school, and people use it as a clip chart. Do not ever do this. <laughs> Never, ever do this. Why? Because it's so. It's called social shaming. It means that the whole class can see when a child has to move their clip from one color to the next. It's on display for everyone to see, which is a form of emotional abuse. It is not fair to the child who gets called out and has to go move their clip in front of everyone and kind of be punished in front of the whole class, especially when they are a child exposed to trauma or chronic stress where they can't even consciously control their behaviors. So the other thing to know about a clip system, which is why I hate it, is the, the zones of, of emotion are, 
are fluid. You move in and out and through and back and forth, and it's all okay. When we use a clip system, we use it as a punishment system, and we say, you know, you're in the yellow zone, you're in the red zone, go move your clip. And the child thinks that they've, they've done something wrong. We may want to change the behavior because we feel that the behavior is wrong, but feeling the emotion isn't wrong. Anger isn't wrong. We just need to know how to express anger. So my issue with the clip chart is when a, when a child clips their clip into yellow or to red, the, the visual, what they see and what their body is being told is you are in red. You are stuck in red. You basically, you know, like it, it's going to be harder for you to come, like just be in red versus when you don't use a clip chart and you just use the visual and they can determine or you can kind of verbally guide them like, oh, I think your body is going into yellow or red. They then don't have a physical thing that's representing being stuck in that zone. They can, in the moment, on the spot, implement the thing that gets them back to green and move right back to green. Versus if you're doing a clip chart and you're stuck there, you have to like do something good later in the day to move your clip down. So it's kind of like you, you're visually stuck. Therefore, your mind is stuck. And I'm still in red. I'm still in red. I'm still in red until I do something good until I can move back down to yellow or to green. So it's, just, it's just not helpful at all. Uh, especially for kids of uh, trauma or chronic stress. Okay, so that's one possible system for category emotional color regulation system. If kids are older, I might use something I call the barking dog wise owl. So this comes out of Dan Siegel's work, Upstairs Brain, Downstairs Brain. Georgetown University took it and, and broke it down into the barking dog wise owl. I have a whole blog post on this. I have a whole podcast. I have multiple blog posts and multiple podcasts on this. So upstairs brain, downstairs brain, barking dog, wise owl, emotional brain, all those things. Go look for those episodes. But in short, your thumb goes across your hand, your four fingers on the top wrap around your thumb. Your thumb is what we call the barking dog. Your four fingers that wrap around your thumb, we call that the wise owl. So I'm going to talk about how to move my hand to represent these things. So my thumb moves rapidly back and forth, kind of like a dog barking. And then my fingers... They fly. So I wave my fingers like they're flying. So how I teach emotional regulation through this is the barking dog is the emotional brain because it think about like a, a dog is like a protector and it barks if something is wrong. So when the child gets escalated or elevated emotionally, dog barks. It's telling the body something is wrong. When the dog barks, it loud barking scares away the wise owl. So with your hand, when you're making this gesture, your dog is barking, your thumb is moving, and your fingers are flying away from the dog. And what that means is that the dog represents the emotional parts of the brain. The wise owl, the four fingers on top, are logic reason. So when the dog is barking, a child can't access logic and reason because a loud barking the dog scares away that smart wise owl. So what do we need to do? We need to calm the barking dog. When we find a way to calm the barking dog, then the wise owl can fly back and we can access logic and reason. How does this relate to the chart? Well, the dog barking, if the dog is just slightly barking, it would be the yellow zone. If the dog is wildly barking, it would be the red zone. If the dog is just still and like alert but not barking, green zone. If the dog is sleeping, which we don't want either, we need the dog to be alert to, to help us um, it's in the blue zone. So we might need to do, do something to wake up the dog a little bit versus if the dog is barking, we need to calm the dog down. <clears throat> so I might teach a child the barking dog, the wise owl, and talk about ways to 
calm the barking dog instead of ways to get back into green because it's the same concept. If it's older kids, I might do upstairs brain, downstairs brain. So your downstairs brain is your barking dog. Your upstairs brain is your wise owl. Your body is telling me you might be stuck downstairs. What can we do to get you back up the steps? So you can really take that concept or even the colors and you can put something else in there, insert characters from a, a book or a movie, uh, Barking Dog Wise Owl. What are What is a character that, or an animal or something that the child relates to that kind of gets easily upset? That can represent the thumb. What's something that's like associated with intellect and, and problem solving? That can be the wise owl. So you can differentiate it for each child, each age group, all these different things. I mean, even as adults, the colors are basic, they're simple, but I still use that visual in my mind. I'm like, okay, feeling a little elevated. I'm in the yellow zone. What do I need to do to get back to the green zone? Like it's simple, it's basic, it seems childish, but it it visually gives you that cue. So these can be used for any age group, just modified uh, for each particular group or student. Okay, so that's step one, categorize the emotions. Step two, teach coping calming. Step three, create a Zen zone, calm area space. Step four, problem solve. Okay. So let's just talk a little bit about coping, calming, essentially regulating. So when the dog is barking or when the child is not in the green zone, we need to do something to get back to the green zone. We need to teach them coping, calming strategies, which there are oodles of. I do blog posts on this. I do lots of podcast episodes on this. Could be interactive breathing, deep breathing, um, exercise, movement, touch, sensory objects, calming objects, music, water. I mean, there are just so many things that kids could use. Some that require like manipulatives or space, some that can be done out in the community or in the public space and um, not require manipulatives or objects. So what I do is I think about what might work best for my group or my child and work on teaching him or her those coping calming strategies. Think about like a toolbox. Each child gets a different toolbox because each child needs different tools to fix their problem. Our job is to fill up the toolbox with different tools. So much like if you have a problem and you need to fix it and you've got a toolbox and you're missing the tool you need to fix, it doesn't get fixed. And then you're stressing because you need to go get that tool to fix the problem. We don't want that to be the case. We want to gather out all of our tools ahead of time before the problem even exists so that when the problem comes up, we're ready to deal with it. So calming coping strategies, that toolbox of strategies, I teach, I model, we practice before anyone even gets upset so that when they do get upset and they don't have access to logic and reason and memory, they already know what to do. I can't teach it in the moment because they don't have access to the parts of the brain that they need to be able to learn it. I practice in advance and then I pull it out and use it in the moment. You can model in the moment. Like you as an adult can model the calming or coping strategy, but it's going to be hard for you to redirect the child and tell them or encourage them to use it because their brain's going to be parts of the brain they need to do that are going to be offline. So if anything, you can try modeling it. And while you're teaching all these things, it's great for you to model it. State what zone you're in, state what makes your dog bark, state when your dog is barking. Talk out loud about how you calm down, what you do, where you go, how you do that. And if you don't know how you do all of that, I really start to think about it because it might mean that you're not modeling great emotional regulation. So how do you do a better job of that? And then anytime a child leaves that 
green zone. They might need a, a break space, like Zen zone, a calm down area or to take a walk. So we might co-create if needed a space in the room, a space in the house where they can go to deescalate. It's not a punishment. It is not a timeout. This is a safe space that we can go to if we want to. We're not forced to go. It is an area that kids are motivated to go to because they know the benefit of using it and it helps them get back to that green zone. And the last step is problem solving. So now that the problem is over, we're back to regulation. We're feeling good. We're in the green. We talk about what do we do next time? And it's short. It's sweet. When you talk too much, you lose kids. So you might say something like, I think you were feeling, I was feeling. The problem is, let's come up with a solution. And then I write down some, some solutions. Simple, short, easy. And then the next time, that the problem comes up, you're going to say, oh, remember we solved this problem. Here's what we talked about doing. And eventually the behaviors go away uh, and kids remain a lot more regulated. So pretty awesome thing. Seen it work so well with kids as young as two, all the way up to kids in, in their teens and early twenties. If you want more information on any of this blog posts, I have a bunch on it. I have other podcast episodes on it and our entire course framework that I've developed, all five of our courses are designed around this concept because I feel it is the most important skill to learn first because you can't make good decisions, work productively, remain calm, do all these other things until you've got a hold or a grasp on how to manage your emotions. So every course I designed is designed around this concept and what we know about the brain. So pop over to our courses page if you really want to dig in and you can choose to opt into the regulation course uh, or their, or any of those five courses. And if you want to take all five courses, you can even get university credit from the University of Pennsylvania. They'll give you 4.5 credits if you opt in to take that during one of their semesters with me. You work through the five courses, you submit your final project, you meet with me a couple of times, get some coaching from me, and then you get 4.5 graduate level credits and you don't need to even apply to the university. So if that is something of interest to you, all you need to do is email me anywhere on the website at the Behavior Hub. I can easily send you those details. Absolutely worth it, whether you are in education or not. And if you're not in education, you can still take all five courses and get <laughs> a certificate from me at the Behavior Hub and not need the credit. It is uh, not quite as expensive if you don't want the credit. <laughs> all right. That takes us to today's listener question, which is, how do I get my child to respect me more? The first question for this person would be, do you respect your child? Because a lot of us take the authoritarian style of, of parenting where we tell kids they have to listen to us, they need to do what we say, we're their parents, and that's not showing respect. Respect begets respect. So kind of self-reflect, are you not getting respect because you're not giving it? Don't know. The other thing I would do with kids is if they're not doing what I want them to do or they're not feeling respectful, I want to know what's under that. Why? Why are they doing that? Why are they acting that way? And not from a place of like blame and shame of like, why are you doing that? A place of understanding, compassion, and grace. I'm so curious to know why you feel that way. So sitting down, if the child's old enough and having an open discussion, but it has to be a safe place. They have to feel safe enough to be willing to open up and tell you what's going on. And maybe they don't even know that because maybe what's causing them stress, they aren't even aware of. So maybe they're being rude because they don't even know why they're stressed, but open up the discussion, create a space where they can come to you safely and talk to you. 
And the other thing I would do is I would consider my language and my communication. The way we communicate with kids, oh gosh, it is very authoritarian, but it's also very controlling and it's taking, it's like power taking. So I created an entire series of communication techniques, seven in particular, all that, what I say, disarm kids, which means bring their energy back down to neutral instead of bring their energy up by showing them respect, by giving them power and control, but still getting what I want done or what I need from them. So the communication techniques uh, all bundled into the course that I created on communication, super simple, easy to use in the moment, great mnemonic and different strategies to use to help you to remember those seven techniques. And they're effective with young kids as well as older kids. In fact, I use them a lot in my relationship with my partner <laughs> and they work really well. It sounds kind of patronizing, but it's not because it can be modified up to use with adults and works a lot of them work really, really well and allow my partner to feel respected by me. Therefore, I feel respected by my partner and things go well. And then we don't fight over things because everyone feels respected, loved, and all is good. <laughs> okay. So want more respect? Do you respect your kids? Do you include them in open, safe discussions? Do you use communication techniques that are showing of respect and giving of power? To wrap up our show... I am going to share with you the try it at home tip, which is bilateral movement. So if kids are dysregulated, we know that rhythm is regulating. So bilateral like movements, like walking, because you get that that rhythmic tap, 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 tap as you walk, even running. Tap, 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 tap. It's rhythmic. It's kind of the same pattern. It doesn't need to be walking or running. It could be tapping. You could tap your shoulders, tap, 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 tap. You could tap your legs, tap, 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 tap. You could tap your temples, tap, 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 tap. Any form of rhythm is regulating, especially if it deals with touch or movement because you're kind of doubling up on sensory strategies there. So when people, children, anyone is dysregulated, try bilateral movement. And that is it for today's episode of Returning to Us. Remember our try at home tip, bilateral movement. Rhythm is regulating. And if you're looking for more support in the areas of stress, trauma, behavior, or the brain, I would love to be a part of your journey. The Behavior Hub offers a range of supports from coaching to online courses to group training programs and even that university credit. So to learn more, shoot me a text at 717-693-7744 or hop onto the Behavior Hub website and email me through there. If you have a burning question you'd like to have answered on a future show, email me at podcast at thebehaviorhub.com. And until next episode, I am Lauren Spiegelmeyer, and thanks for joining me.